0: Welcome to Financial Planning Explained. I'm your host, Mike Menninger, Certified Financial Planner, owner and founder of Manager and Associates Financial Planning. Uh, I'm really pleased to have with me today's guest is Brad Sorensen, who is a Chartered Financial Analyst, a CFA. Uh, Brad is one of the members of the Cornerstone Portfolio Research, which is a group of CFA consultants who really provide us with uh, a tremendous amount of guidance and support and you name it, as it pertains to uh, managing the assets that we do for our clients. Uh, Brad, thank you very much for joining us. I, I appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Glad to be here. So, um, also congratulations, Brad. You also represent the hundredth episode. But be that as hey, it may, of my be show. Part of that. It's it's like that ding 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 when you're the millionth uh, person <laughs> exactly. who passes through the line. I can always see that being me letting the person with one item go in front of me and they're the millionth person. But anyway, <laughs> um, so what we're gonna do is today, uh, we're gonna be talking about, this is gonna be the first of four episodes on the economy and the markets. And for those who follow, I have a Monday morning recap uh, that I send out every Monday morning and it attaches actually what you write, Brad, uh, as far as a week in review. I write a weekend review, tie your stuff in And for those who've been watching it for, or reading it for the last year plus, they'll remember me referring to the 800-pound gorilla in the room. And the 800-pound gorilla is inflation and the Fed's response to inflation. So uh, this episode is really gonna be talking about just that, the Fed's mandate, and the Fed has two mandates, is price stability, which is so-called inflation, and Job stability, which is the labor markets and making sure that we don't, you know, we have enough jobs out there. So, with no further ado, I'd like to take a look at the first slide, which really shows uh, inflation going back since prior to 1980, which was the last time of inflation. So, what this slide represents, I know it's kind of difficult to see all of the writing on it, but it shows uh, in blue, the light blue. Uh, it shows the headline inflation, and then in the darker blue, it shows the uh, core inflation. And as you can see, both of these graphs represent that we haven't seen inflation like this in almost 40 years, actually over 40 years. Uh, Brad, would you like to touch upon, at least for the viewers, explain the difference between headline inflation, or CPI is the consumer price index. And if you can just, for the viewers, describe the difference between headline and core sure
1: yeah it gets a little confusing but and there's a debate among economists whether we should use the headline or core and different financial analysts like to use one or the other but the headline is basically all prices we pay all of the prices at the consumer level so the consumer prices pay what they pay for food what they pay for gas what they pay for housing all of those things clothing travel all that stuff goes into the headlines cpi and if you want to and you have time on your hands you can go into the cpi website and they'll break it all down by those levels the core is excluding what they consider volatile inflationary components and those are food and energy so when you hear core that's excluding the food and energy because there are there's some belief that the fed has less control over those things because there are external efforts obviously drought and wars and OPEC, they can affect all of those areas. So sometimes they like to exclude that because it can be volatile and just focus on the core areas where they think they have more control and where they can focus their policy a little more. Well, headline
0: inflation, which includes the energy, I didn't realize that food is as volatile. Certainly we can all observe the volatility of gas prices at the pump. And you know it reached a peak of 9.1 percent back in June of last year, June of 2021. That's, that's not last year. Um, and so we don't see some of the other ones every day. Other than, quite frankly, you hear of people going into the grocery store like, "Holy cow! You know it, this is costing me substantially more today than it had previously cost. I just didn't realize that uh, food was as volatile as it is."
1: yeah that's interesting to bring up and that has been one of the pain points actually those two it's interesting that we exclude those because for consumers those are the two that really hurt the most for most consumers is their gas prices and their food prices because that's what everybody has to buy but yeah food can be very volatile due to as we've seen through covid it can be affected by supply chains yep and then we have the example of the Conflict that's going on in ukraine that affects grain availability which goes into a lot of food products and then transporting that across the world and then energy prices can also Increase that Transport costs so that all feeds into the volatility of food prices for people that they pay
0: right 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 there's no doubt and so one of the fed mandates is To have price stability and what you find is when and the analogy that I use is the economy is like a fire uh, like a fire burning and the Fed has control over that fire with a fire hose and the biggest control that they have is to raise or lower interest rates because when they raise interest rates as we're all seeing it causes strains on the economy and effectively the consumers buy unless it trickles its way down that it lowers inflation so there's many believe that the Fed was too late to start, and that it might have been politically driven, not so much from the elections, but you know, politically driven where they wanted to be reelected. <laughs> okay, and you know, but aside from that, um, we just went through. Uh, in fact, we just had the Fed raise rates uh, on was it May 5th or 4th, third May 3rd uh, right. again, another quarter percent, which is not reflected in other slides that we're gonna take a look at, but uh, the long and short of it is, the Fed has raised rates by 5% in 13 months, which is unprecedented.
1: Yeah, they have, and we, you know, this could go on to a doctoral thesis of what they've done, so we won't go into that, but they did get behind, and they've admitted, they made a mistake at the beginning, not tightening sooner, not, I don't even say tightening, not even removing the accommodation sooner. And to be fair, there was some exogenous forces that made their, as we all know, they were dealing with COVID and that made kind of their decision making process a little more difficult. The supply chain obviously helped increase inflation. They thought that would correct as the supply chain corrected. They should. Most people argue they should have known that the massive amount of money they were pumping in and the federal government was pumping into the market would cause inflation. That goes back to kind of economics 101, that more money equals more inflation.
0: Right. Supply and demand. Very simple. And the thing is, is that exactly. same goes with if there's no supply because of the supply chain disruptions, it was a perfect world, so to speak, the perfect storm. So you, you had referenced the Fed's balance sheet. Okay, and the impact of the Fed balance sheet, and this shows here, uh, those are the two recessions, is that correct, in the gray areas? Yes. Okay, so was that, 2008, I can't read it from the screen, Uh, 2008 and then the 2020. But talk to me about what the importance of this Fed balance sheet is.
1: Well, the Fed balance sheet is really important because if you go back, really, And if this went back further you can even see it starts in 2004 that they really didn't play around with their balance sheet a lot so that's the amount of money that they can pump into the economy use that to grease the skids to either you know everybody focuses on the interest rates because those are the headlines easy to understand but they can also make more money available for companies to borrow and then our banks to borrow and then lend out Thus, kind of stimulating the economy. So we saw back in 2008, we got the jump there in the middle because they started, that's quantitative easing. They started to pump money into the economy because we had the real estate related recession and financial crisis. And then you fast, they never, part of the problem was they never undid that. So that stoked the fire, as you were saying. And then we got to 2020, COVID hits, world panics, financial world panics, whether they should or not, that's up for debate in memoriam. That'll be debated forever. But they greatly increased their balance sheet going in into the COVID part. And just now they're starting to reduce it very slowly they don't want to make it they don't want to cause a shock to the economy so they're starting to bring it down very they're forecasting it they're being very plain about what they're doing it and they're doing it in a slow and methodical fashion trying to limit the damage to the economy because as you drain the economy of money that does slow economic growth if you go back to economics
0: 101. So, Brad, looking back at this chart again, can you? what's the relationship between the Fed balance sheet and the debt ceiling? Is there a relationship between the two?
1: Well, there isn't really a relationship between the balance sheet and the debt ceiling, but there has been, like we've talked about the money supply, so there is a relation to the debt ceiling in that the federal government has been if you saw a chart of their spending, it would look somewhat similar in trajectory that during 2008, they put a lot of financial stimulus level at the finan- at the federal government level. And then during COVID, of course, we all know that they put a lot of stimulus out there through different packages, different aid packages, uh, food security packages, all of those kind of things. So that made us reach the debt ceiling faster than we would have otherwise under normal circumstances so they're related in that both were trying to accomplish the same goals which led to when you have that dual fuel coming into the economy it just had to lead to the inflation that we saw yeah, so now I'd like to look at the next
0: slide, and this shows what the Fed funds rate, and when you hear Fed funds rate, that's what we hear on the headlines. Hey, Fed just raised interest rates by a quarter percent. And you can even take a look at this one. This is prior to the Fed's raising the rates, so this is prior to May. And what we see here is look at that jump from 21 all the way to now. That's where I referenced that it went up 5% in such a short period of time. And yeah, so
1: it, it's almost unprecedented. Um, we saw big jumps previously, but we were so low, and then coming off of that extremely low level, historically low, obviously. Zero doesn't get much lower than jumping that. Jumping up is historically amazing.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, you take a look at it, and it was at zero for a very long time. It was zero following the global financial crisis in 2008. Then they started raising rates again in around 15 and 16. And then in 19, they dropped them again, and now they're back at zero for a while. Um, you know, Now, all of a sudden, you're right. They're just banging it real hard. And I think there's reason to believe, and many believe, that they did it too fast. And that could push us into a recession. That'll be a discussion for uh, our next episode. So um, what I'd like to do is, at this point, take a break. And what we'll do is, when we come back from break, uh, we'll talk about the other Fed mandate being... The job market so stay tuned we'll be back with you in just a few moments
1: do you keep up regularly with your investments where exactly are your hard-earned dollars going are you financially prepared for an emergency
0: i'm mike manager founder of manager and associates financial planning we believe that education and knowledge are powerful and we want our clients to understand why we're making the recommendations that we make it's your money and you deserve to know where it's going Because it's not how much you make, it's how much you keep. So call us today to... Welcome back to Financial Planning Explained. I'm your host, Mike Menager, Certified Financial Planner, and still here with Brad Sorensen, Chartered Financial Analyst. Um, in the first segment, we were talking about inflation and the federal government raising rates and the Fed funds rate and things like that. Uh, the second segment, we're going to talk about the other uh, duty of the federal government or the Federal Federal Reserve, shall I say, is uh, job stability, which is the jobs market. And that is, we'll talk next uh, next episode, we're going to talk about um the, the potential of a recession yes or no but the job market represents such a very important component of the economy and as you can see our jobless rate is very low this shows initial jobless claims which comes out what every friday right every thursday Every Thursday, okay. Every Thursday, the, they report initial jobless claims, and you can see just by this chart, it's remarkable how this has just decreased over time. I mean, our jobless, initial jobless claims are at what almost 50-year lows. I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, that's good, other than we had mm-hmm. that peak during COVID, and obviously, you know, we all remember that a sudden loss of jobs, but.
1: Uh, And we've recovered from that fully. Right. And this is where it gets dicey and the Fed has some problems because you just mentioned it right there. This is good. Well, it's good until it's too good. That's the problem that we're in right now because the job market and Chairman Powell keeps pointing to this that the job market is too tight and that makes wages go up too much and that contributes to inflation is everybody wants to have higher wages everybody likes to see people getting higher wages but then you have to pay the prices to pay those higher wages so that starts the cycle of inflation and so that's what we see right now and the reason we focused on jobless claims I just want to point this out for viewers is that that is the leading indicator of the jobs market that's what uh, economists look for stock market looks to. It's weekly, so that's nice. And it's also leading all the other job market indicators are more what we call lagging. They're what's happened in the past, but this is what's happening currently. People, companies lay people off as they look forward. So that's why we look at the jobless claims number. And I guarantee the Fed is concentrating on this number. And actually yesterday's number uh, hit the highest level since October 2021. So we are starting to make, like I said, that's bad news in that some people are losing yeah. their jobs, but good news on the inflation.
0: Part. Well, interesting, I can see from the chart that it has shown a little bit of a tail moving upward uh, more recently. And so the Fed has actually come out and said once, Uh, not that long ago, a couple months ago, I believe it was, that they said that the job market represents 55% of the CPI, which is basically meaning that the very, very strong job market is a big contributor to inflation. So while the Fed will never come out and say, hey, we want people to be laid off, under their breath, they kind of want that because that'll help slow inflation.
1: Yeah, and that's what you'll hear them try to dance around that. And I I feel for them because it's hard to say those things. But, you know, Chairman Powell has come out and said there there has to be some pain involved in doing this. But the pain of inflation is going to be worse if we let that get ahead of us. Congress people will blast the Fed for wanting to people to be laid off. But we need more slack in the labor market. The Fed knows it. economists know it. And that's the only way that inflation gets from where we are to their 2% stated target.
0: Right, which we all believe is a pipe dream for quite some time. Um, And the other thing, too, if you could sort of more of a practical perspective, if people are working and there's no concern of working, then they're also more willing to spend especially when they had all this money that was basically floated out there by the government ever since COVID. And if people are spending, well, guess what? 68% of the the, the of the GDP is the consumer spending. And as long as the consumer spending, it's good for the economy, but it's not good for inflation.
1: Right. There's this kind of sweet spot that you want spending but not too much spending you want good jobs but not too many good jobs yeah that's where we've gotten a little too far balanced toward the too good in some of those areas leading to inflation and that's what like people are saying you know you see especially at the lower and middle income levels yeah they're getting some pay raises but they're just not keeping up with inflation that's why inflation is such this monster that the fed Continues to want to slay. Of course. Of course. Now, the
0: next slide is uh, the unemployment per job opening. It's kind of an interesting, uh, you don't see this very often, um, but it is interesting because it shows right now the relationship is that there are almost twice as many jobs open as there are people looking for them is that yeah accurate? And this is
1: what the concern is of the fed obviously that there's so many people so many companies wanting to hire and there's so many jobs openings that it starts to they offer more money because there's fewer workers and yeah there's less than you know I, I think really the balance would be if there's one available worker for every open job that would be probably what most people would consider in balance, that would still be pretty tight, but that would be good. Obviously, not. they're not going to match up exactly, but that kind of gives, and we're well below that right now. Yeah, way and below we that. We don't even have one available worker for every job opening, so there's that competition that up, puts pre- upward pressure on those wages. I don't know what you would characterize as the
0: average there, but it's certainly not – uh, in that case, it says a half. That means there's a half a person for every job that's open, and that means basically the uh, person has a, a, a they're in demand. I mean, they're they're in demand for people. Now, I've also heard a lot that they don't look at as a leading indicator. They look less at layoffs than jobs open because companies have and i know you've said this before you can elaborate that they're they're still stuck on being afraid that they won't be able to hire therefore they haven't been laying off and that the initial yeah, there jobless there's
1: problems through. but there's this is where the fed gets difficult because how weak is that because they they talk to companies but they also look at job board surveys they have staff to look at everything and just because a job says it's opening, does that really mean that the company is actively trying to hire that or they're just not wanting to, in case things pick up, they don't wanna bring that job down? How many are really aggressively hiring? So that's kind of the, the balance that they're trying to, is that a true number or is it starting to be, some of those jobs have been open for a year and they're just kind of stale, they're not really open. Well, so that basically is the
0: juggling act that the Fed is dealing with, um, trying to fight inflation, fighting inflation by tightening um, uh, available money by raising interest rates. However, the job market remains strong. So the Fed is very much challenged with trying to keep check on inflation. Now, before we go, I want to bring up a couple um, sort of current events, if you will. Um, and, and just throw them out there real quick, is, you know, it's on the news about the debt ceiling. Uh, that is a potential issue. And then secondly, more recently, uh, we've had a bunch of bank failures. So um, tell you what, let's start with the bank failures.
1: Yeah, that's a good tale because the Fed now has to deal with that as well, um, both from a regular, regulatory perspective, but also from how much does that impact the economy? How much does what we call credit avail money how much does do banks pull back in lending due to these financial issues so what's happened is some of these regional banks have through various reasons they've misbal mismanaged their balance sheets yeah and you get nervous depositors and that once that happens you get what's called a run on the bank and basically there's nothing the bank can do to stop it they can say all they want to stay but once a once a depositor loses confidence in the bank it's all over for them so that yeah. happened to a few banks and but the if you notice the stock market hasn't crashed you'd think it would be more concerned with all this but what happened was the federal government and the federal reserve both came in and said at the first failure that they are guaranteeing all banking deposits for two years usually there's a $250,000 cap of FDIC insurance, but they didn't want there to be a panic in the markets. So they guaranteed all depositors at all banks for two years.
0: Yeah, so that's that's interesting. And I think this is a story that is not, um, the, the final chapter has not concluded because it's generally speaking, the smaller to mid midsize regional banks that are being impacted and Also, you know, it's not like the giant mega banks. Um, But then there's still a couple others that are in the news that are in trouble that are at risk of potentially going down. And they're trying to say there's no contagion that this isn't gonna be broad-based, but I'll believe that once we're completely through it. I'm not passing judgment either way. Now, the last one is the um, debt ceiling. So the debt ceiling they're talking about um, early June or whatever, that we're gonna run out of money. Well, that's clearly a problem. The last time I saw that as a problem was in 2011. Um, Wanna share real quick your thoughts on that?
1: Sure, a lot of thoughts about this. Uh, We could debate this for a long time, but there are starting to be panics um, in the financial market a little bit. uh, Like this morning, CDS, Um, credit default swaps that is an indicator of risk in the market that's risen to an all-time high for treasuries there's there is not a chance that the US government is not going to pay when you hear default it is not going to be a not pay their interest on their treasuries or pay back that that is not going to happen Constitutionally, the United States can't do that. 14th Amendment says that. So they would stop what would happen and what people are kind of worried about really is they would have to stop paying some other bills. Um, In 2011, it was they threatened Social Security. They'd stop being able to make Social Security payments or military benefit payments, things like that. Um, So I think there's a little overblown concern that we're going to, as the United States is going to default in the sense that it's not going to pay the debt that it owes. But obviously this is causing some stress in the market. And the sooner they can get something done, the better. But it will be at the deadline or even a little beyond because the phrase is deadlines make deals. And that's what happens. Politicians have to be worried that they're losing voters and that doesn't happen until voters start to feel pain. Right. Well, you know, I
0: I just don't see that happening either. Uh, And it seems to be, to a great extent, a political move for each side to be able to try to, you know, debate and haggle as to what they want to get through. All right. So we're at the end of the first episode. Brad, thank you very much. Um, We will... Join us next week and what we'll be doing is talking about the components associated with, are we heading to a recession? Are we in a recession? What is the case for a recession? And what is the case against the recession? And I will be joined again uh, with Brad Sorensen. So uh, thank you for joining us today. And I look forward to seeing you in our next episode. Thank you and have a wonderful day.